0: hey guys welcome to another episode of mc anime mc here and uh today we have another special guest with us today the host of a a dash of science podcast and a science communicator chris how are you doing today
1: hey i'm doing pretty good thanks for having me on the show how are you doing
0: uh, p- pretty well pretty well uh it's Please tell the audience a little bit about yourself, where they can find you on social media, and uh, what do you do in general?
1: Sure, absolutely. Uh, like I said, my name's Chris. Uh, I am a science communicator. I am a physicist, and I am an engineer at NASA. In my spare time, I like to do science communication, which is essentially just talking about science subjects with people at a level that they can understand, so kind of bringing complex ideas, bring them down to kind of a general level, and that's just what I love to do. I've been podcasting and, and communicating science for about a decade now. Uh, you can find me at my podcast, dash of science.com as well as on Twitter, at Physicist Chris, if you want to talk to me more about kind of those things, whether it's, you know, stuff about very complex physics topics that interest you, or even just kind of the truth of science behind movies and TV shows, whatever it is, I'm game, so look me up if you're interested in that.
0: So, yeah. So, this particular episode is an interesting episode. Uh, I reached out to Chris as a science correspondent or slash communicator. We decided that Dr. Stone, the the portrayal of science and chemistry was a really good topic for him to divulge into. So further ado, what did you think of the, the science depicted in Dr. Stone?
1: I have to say that this is probably, crazily enough, one of the best depictions of science in a show that I've ever seen, whether it's a movie or a TV show. And the fact that this is an anime just blows my mind. Like, it's really, it's kudos to the show writers or the author of the manga, if that's where it comes from, who put in the amount of effort in researching kind of the science behind the stuff that they wanted to do. I mean, like all things, there's a bit of fantasy there. So you kind of have to put a little bit of disbelief, but the fundamentals, uh, they're really fantastic. Um, I'm curious, when you watched the show, did it feel like those things uh, were real to you or when you read the manga, whichever you did?
0: It felt genuine. It actually felt like the chemistry was pretty good. Uh, it was well explained, but also the portrayal of the chemistry was actually actually done by based on the periodic table and compound mixtures to make the new substances that they want to make
1: yeah absolutely and I think it's kind of interesting because the general plot of the show uh, to begin with is kind of this something happens right they don't really explain it in the beginning but yeah. all you see is this green light it it flashes over everything and at first I thought like all living life was was petrified right mm-hmm. they talked about kind of like birds were showing up petrified Uh, but then suddenly all life was petrified. But then as the show went on, I realized that it was really just humans and then like birds initially. And I thought that was interesting. I was wondering how they were going to explain that. But I was kind of thinking about that just off the beginning, right? Like petrification, we see that a lot in our myth uh, and our fiction through, you know, Greek mythology like Medusa, the Basilisk, and the Cockatrice. I know there's some Asian culture that has to do with petrification in that similar way that I'm not really familiar with. I know it's Mm. there. And so these ideas in history, they're they're prevalent, and, and they're always mystical, magical, or religious faith, right, the power of the god sort of thing. Uh, and I was kind of curious about what sort of things we have in real life that, like, might be similar, you know, what this idea might be based off of. Um, and so there's a couple of different, like, diseases that actually exist. One of them is essentially, it's called hypercalcemia, or sorry, hypercalcemia. Uh, and that involves kind of a calcium uh, homeostasis. It's essentially an extremely high level of calcium uh, in your bloodstream, right? And it causes you to be more rigid, but it doesn't give you that stone-like thing. So I I kind of kept looking, uh, and there's another one called seclerodorma. It's extremely rare, and it's an incredibly degenerative disease that literally slowly turns the skin rock hard, Uh, and they describe it like turning to stone. And it's mostly talked about its effects on the skin uh, but it affects the joints and the tissues, lungs. Um, they get so hard and tight that they're just they're unable to even move over time. Uh, yeah. It's an autoimmune disease. So I thought it was kind of interesting. I, I think there's another one, fibrodysplasia, that's kind of similar. But so we have kind of these weird, random diseases that happen in people, and it's not too far uh, of a of a jump to to think that maybe these diseases happening in you know primitive time might be the catalyst for some of the uh, you know some of these myths that yeah. kind of go throughout time. You know, Cause usually as as human beings, when we can't explain something scientifically, back before we, if we really even had science, it was always mystical, it was always gods, it was always magic. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. I thought that was kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, and also Doctor Stone supports the motif of broken earth kind of thing when the disaster hits and uh, it's basically left in oh, yeah. the Stone Age. It's kind of reversed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, that kind of dystopian look on things is incredibly popular in society over yeah. the past couple of decades. Uh, and the kind of the restart, you know, single group of people. What I really liked about this is one of the things in kind of my longer talks when I talk about people, uh, about kind of science and where we're at, is what we've gained in science as a society has come at a direct cost of what we've lost in knowledge on the individual level. And one of the examples I use for that is just thinking, if you were to be set down in the middle of the woods with nothing, no clothes, no tools, no nothing, how long would it take you to build a cell phone? And the vast majority of people is never, right? Nobody has the knowledge to even begin to start figuring out how to do that. And I thought that was kind of funny because in the show, eventually they do lead up to building a, a cell phone like thing. And I thought that was kind of cool. I mean, it took several years and more than just one person, you know, eventually, but i just thought that was kind of interesting yeah
0: and the only closest uh, event that i can know for like planification wise is palm bay the entire volcano exploded and uh everyone's covered in dust and like literally stayed in the figures of the dust yeah
1: the hardening of the ash crust Mm -hmm. them, and it just happened so fast and Yep, that's a good example. I didn't think about that one. But, you know, there's had to be other events like that throughout history that is yeah. you know, too far gone for us to find now. But So it's really interesting. Uh, but getting back to kind of like the science of the show, yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of went through and, and looked at some of the things. And I wanted to kind of look at three different aspects, I okay. guess. One is how reasonable is it that this could be done by a person with the tools that they had? Uh, did they describe it correctly or... Did they kind of gloss over some facts and how did they kind of portray doing it in that timeline that they could do it right? Is mm-hmm. how long it took them to figure that out reasonable. Um, and I would say that honestly, for the vast majority of things, at least especially in the things that are like Stone Age and above level technology uh, up to the revolution or the uh, Renaissance age, I think most of that stuff is barely reasonable because you know, he already had that knowledge and discovering that knowledge was really, for those primitive stuff, the vast majority of the time it took uh, to really invent those things. You know? So we're looking at the stuff like you know, grass skirts, stone tools, rope, bow drill, fire, you know, basic traps. All of those things are incredibly primitive. You don't really have to have uh, a whole lot to do those things as long as you have the knowledge of the fact that they exist. You know, I mean, if you take some of us and throw us out there to make a fire, uh it might take us a little bit And actually in the show interesting enough a lot of places in the sh- in, in shows where you have to make fire uh they perceive it as, as this really quick process you know they pull out the bow or they get flint and steel and in a couple of seconds they have a fire uh, and if you talk to any survivalist that's not the case and they did a really good job on the show like it took him a long time uh to get that fire actually going and so i thought that was just a nice i mean it's such a casual nod to reality but it's have you ever tried to start
0: a fire like that? Yeah, I actually have. It's uh, it's interesting experience because you not only have to take into the moisture account, the dryness, the weather around you, but also the material around you. There's a reason why the Boy Scouts or the military, your best friend was duct tape because the, the duct tape was the uh, catalyst for the fire to get going because of the glue.
1: Yep, absolutely. But uh, going back to kind of the petrification process that happened in, in episode one, like, I find it interesting because uh, they rarely make it look like it's, a, it's something from space uh, that's causing this way that the light comes in. And yeah. It's a really common trope because I think right now are only true mysteries anymore for humankind that are like scary at the idea... Is like deep ocean and outer space because we we haven't conquered them fully yet. So it's really easy to place this mysterious thing coming, you know, from out of space that causes this this stuff that we can't explain happening, which is what it kind of looked like, uh, you know, in the beginning. Because it's really easy; you don't have to follow the same hmm. physics or logic or technological, you know, uh, paths that we have here on Earth. Um, but one thing I did notice is that the clothes and the items like some of them turned to stone and some of them didn't yeah. right like uh i can't remember the main girl's name off the top of my head yeah but when she petrified her uh her headphones turned to stone also but when everybody got cured and brought back they were all naked i, I assume because your clothes had deteriorated over time yeah. so i don't know if that was a reasoning behind that or if it was just a mistake but mm-hmm. you know
0: true Um, is it really accurate that that the clothes would deteriorate like like thousands of years like that yeah
1: absolutely i mean Mm -hmm. you you don't even need that long Um, and you could probably see clothes completely deteriorating in a matter of a couple of decades so that part's completely okay and then of course plastics wouldn't deteriorate for a very long time which is one of the problems we're having in our uh in our society today is how long it takes plastics to break down um so I don't think that they would have lasted for several thousands of years like that yeah so I, I feel like they turned them to stone I don't know either way it wasn't a big deal you know mm. just one little thing in what so far had been a pretty impressive uh, show as far as yeah. their, their nod to the science so no um, okay they, so
0: they, this is ahead. a quick question so in the purification process mm-hmm. the main character Dr., uh, Mr. Stone is thinking out loud for mental exercises not to go insane but how does the body in stone stay intact for thousands of years
1: so unfortunately here's the level where fantasy just has Mm. to take over to tell your story right yeah Uh, because there's really only two possibilities with this petrification either it is Full petrification of the body tissue, 100%. In which case, you're literally dead, right? Yeah. You can't have electrons moving. Stone's an insulator; doesn't pass electrons, right? Which is what our body needs. Our whole nervous system needs in order to stay alive, to stay conscious, to think. The other side of that is, it's just an outer shell, which I feel like is kind of what mm-hmm. they were they were leading to, uh, in which case you definitely don't have an issue with deterioration because it acts as like a preservative and you need oxygen you need micro uh you know bodies essentially you know bacteria and stuff to break down things so that part's fine but you know he talks about how much energy it took in order to keep his brain cells moving in order to be thinking for that long and that's just for his brain that doesn't all the energy that our body would need to survive right It yeah. kind of pushes this idea that the stone had this curative process and and stuff like that but in reality at the end of the day as long as you're not dealing with like advanced topics and relativity we basically follow the idea of conservation of energy and matter yeah. in order for the body to take that energy and use it it has to come from someplace and they do talk about that the idea that any type of stone would have that energy to give, but also stay there, right? If the stone was deteriorating, sure, maybe. And I guess you could kind of throw that in there, like maybe that's why he was the first person to be able to break free because he was using, you know, a uh, significant so more amount of energy that was maybe deteriorating the rock. But I don't feel like that's where they were going with it. I think that they, if I remember correctly, some sort of of their, you know, miracle fluid drift on him and started the process, I feel like that's what they are going. Yeah. So again, that's kind of one of those ideas where you have to kind of suspend reality a little bit if you want your show to have a plot. Yeah, true. <laughs> You know what I mean? So, um, then I was I was actually going to talk about that too, so that's pretty interesting. One of the other kind of things I was thinking about too is, so this is essentially some form of light that's causing this. Uh, in order for that to happen, it would have to be, you know, we have light or radiation that can penetrate the body you know like x-rays mm-hmm. uh which are something like 10 to the negative 10 meters in wavelength um and 20 hertz so the idea that light can penetrate your body and cause damage you know like radiation is real uh but to cause this kind of turn i never really got if it was turning like the skin mm-hmm. to stone or if it was creating like a membrane of stone from something else around it i never got that but yeah. The idea that light can cause problems in your body is certainly certainly real.
0: True. If it would cause like a membrane or anything, from my understanding, the light has to hit the skin, but it has to react with a chemical to cause that. So I think it would be if it's a membrane forming from the light and the light's hitting this particular chemical and it's causing this chemical reaction, that's the only way I can think... That the stone purification yeah, can be done by light because usually light reacting to chemicals have different effects that can possibly trigger maybe pacification as a, like a reasonable theory
1: yeah that, that is very true some sort of chemical and i think maybe they talk about being trace amounts of something in the body uh but i don't think when you say trace amounts, trace is a word that, you know, it doesn't, like, everybody can... Yeah, it's like
0: traces per a million, something like that.
1: Yeah, but, yeah, as I was going to say, trace amounts of, of of things in the body are actually incredibly small amounts. So I don't even think you physically have enough of any material that comes in trace bits to completely form a stone shell around yeah. the body. Um, that one, I, I, I'm hesitant to say that's realistic, but... yeah. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was a nice nod kind of to what was going on. So I think yeah. it's fair, right? Again, some things you just kind of have to fantasy over in order to get something to work through your story you're trying to tell. Um, I think one of the first really big uh, ideas that were kind of, I would say, surpasses the normal person's ability to come up with quickly um, in the show was really kind of the discovery of that first episode and that second episode of that the, the miracle fluid right mm-hmm. the nitel the, the nitric acid um and it's interesting because one of the things that i always there's a couple of things that are convenient and that are done in this show that are just you just have to be okay with there's not exactly wrong but the odds of it happening are extremely rare i guess And one of those is the fact that they are within a walk of pretty much everything that they need, and easily able to gather within pretty much the surface of the Earth to make everything that they make. And that part is plausible, but not reasonable, if that makes sense. You know, when they need sulfuric acid, they they're close enough to a volcano to find sulfur. Which I, I get, they're in Japan. There's a volcano. know, there's volcanoes down there. But you know, like everything else that they need is really close by. Uh, and then also just the amount of time that uh, he takes in developing these things and the amount of precision right so you can make a crude version of a lot of stuff especially like the glass works and stuff that he gets into later on uh where he makes like this full nice set of glassware for like his chem lab um you could blow glass blowing glass is what i would call a medieval or ancient skill uh but doing it to the precision that is needed to make the glasses you know like graduated cylinders for proper measurement um that's probably something that would take years of trial and error in order to get you know yeah. so that's again that's one of those parts that's kind of like a nod yes you can know like how to make gunpowder right we we know like it's pretty common i use it in rocketry motors and, and stuff like that sulfur carbon uh, <clears throat> uh potassium nitrate but what What amounts do you put together to make that Mm -hmm. and knowing it's one part this two parts that three whatever that's nice but you have to be able to measure those incredibly precisely in chemistry it is definitely not a throw them all together and be off by a couple of grams and have it work like you could have a very 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 slow burn or an incredibly energetic fast burn depending on how that mixture gets messed up and that's true for a lot of the stuff that's in chemistry. You know, a lot of this stuff happens naturally, but happening to the right amount to be useful in the in the precise ways that we use these things. I think that's where kind of some of the massaging you
0: know, comes sure. Yeah. but you know, what's needed, the general ideas of, of where stuff
1: comes from, you know, like the, the bat guano in the cave and the fluid dead, uh, dripping down and kind of all that stuff. Sure, that's absolutely reasonable. They talk about like uh, making wine, right? And being able to stomp on the grapes and wine is fermented grapes and that's absolutely true. But distilling wine also requires yeast. And while there's absolutely the right kind of yeast in the environment normally, being able to concentrate it and get it uh, is trial and error, right, it's not going to happen immediately and how much available uh, to cause that reaction, you know, they do make natural natural wine that just, it, it's formed, yep. it's fermented from natural yeast in the environment, but it's definitely nowhere near, like, the wine that they make in a lab or in a, yeah. in a winery where they actually control the yeast, you
0: know. What's your thoughts so about the precursor okay, to the, preacillin? preacillin. What are your thoughts about the precursor to pre, preacillin? Preac, The antibiotics. Uh, Yeah.
1: The the antibiotic, yes. So (laughs) when he goes and starts talking about making the sulfa drug, this is honestly, like there are some little things like with the sextant, he makes that pretty early and that Mm -hmm. requires a little bit more precision than I feel like he had at that time. But outside of that, nothing like really made me lift my eyebrows uh, until he got to the point of wanting to develop this sulfa drug and the idea of penicillin. And... I can't remember when we developed sulfa drugs. I want to say it was like the early 1930s, hmm. but finding the right... like I feel like it's interesting that he that they the show puts such a uh, emphasis on penicillin's hard because you have to find the right green mold doing the right thing. Uh, and I feel like that's true with everything that they did, but they didn't seem to have a problem with it. So instead they went towards making this sulfa drug, which is a far more complex uh requirement i mean you need the hydrochloric acid the acid uh you need ammonia sodium hydrogen sulfate aniline salt sodium you know this big long list of stuff and also electricity which uh
0: so
1: uh in order to run some stuff Mm -hmm. like you can run the anti bulb, that's fine and how much voltage it has would be like brightness of the light so that's why those things kind of dim in and out uh but kind of some of the more advanced stuff that they wanted to do um like making the batteries and all that kind of stuff uh that's that's a little out there. I'm not, I don't want to say that what they did was incorrect. It's just what they did would have taken probably you know a couple of decades to perfect enough to actually work. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of all that kind of stuff. Again, like I said, that kind of started with the uh, with the creation of the of the sulfur drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, they get into the magnets in that making the sulfur drug. And sure, we have lodestone. Uh, you know, the Paris rock, but going from that to a high-powered magnet, iron rod, and lightning, and all that stuff—that's um, hard to do, and it takes a level of precision that I don't feel like would be capable in those scenarios. You know, so again, like these these complex ideas come about, and they're like, yes, they have the right steps, yes, they have the right recipes. Uh, could they make something? but it's not going to work as well as it works in the show. It's not going to be, you know, modern-day level items.
0: Yeah, and also guessing that the sulfur drug would be the right combination to fix whatever the uh, illness at the time, the bacterial or exactly. fungi illness. So
1: that, That's true. And like we know with, you know, antibiotics, uh, you know, there's bacteria, there's virus, and an, an antibiotic antibiotic only works with one of those you know and so it's it's not a bad guess because in reality like antibiotics they help cure a vast majority of the diseases that we had uh, of pre-antibiotics because of how prevalent bacteria uh is and viruses are right yeah like so it's not a it's not a large stretch i guess hmm to say that that was the right call um you know the fact that i think that they alluded to that it was some form of pneumonia type infection that was genetically more i guess susceptible to like if you go all the way back where they're talking about astronauts. I don't know how much you want to talk about things in the show that are, might be spoilers or anything like that, yeah. so I'll let you as a host decide that uh, for people who haven't watched this, but you know, it's not a bad guess that uh, uh, an, anti- an antibiotic would cure her disease, but you're right, it was still a guess uh, yeah. and it's a guess that she wouldn't be allergic to that kind of uh, yeah. antibiotic, which we have all the time, um, though penicillin is like the number one uh, antibiotics that people are allergic to. Yeah. Um, and so with sulfur drugs. But. Another
0: thing I kind of wanted to discuss is the the village. Uh, yes. Dr. Stone's father being the creator of the village and uh, genetic-wise, it's like what, 10 times removed to the t- current generation. That's not really yes. genealogy possible for that village to be like so that
1: you're absolutely right you're 100 percent correct so one of the things that i did for my master's thesis uh was talking about generational shifts and like what it we take if we we're going into the space and we didn't have the technology you know, faster than light travel uh the only way to get there would be to have these generational shifts right you set out with a large enough population that by the time you reach there you have a large population that can settle so what do you need not only to get along but just through, you know, genetics to have enough variety that you're not going to cause these problems. And yeah. if I remember correctly, they had maybe five or six different people at the start of that village. Uh, and that is absolutely not enough uh, genetic diversity to have a population last very long without having some very severe problems. And so people that don't really know how that works is essentially, you know, when you have a child they get half their genetics from mom and half their genetics from dad. So all of their siblings can vary a little bit in their genetic makeup, but not by a lot. So when you start reproducing within that same family, you start uh, increasing the chance that these more rare genetic issues will pop up because then you have a higher chance of passing them down. And so even with six people, that's three pairs, even if you just ignore ethics and get weird and you intermix those, you know, it's, it's still, you know, what, whatever that is, uh, you still have less than 10 pairings of people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as you come down, if you don't have another source of human beings from somewhere, uh, you're going to get weird blood issues, you know, uh, where you can't stop bleeding you're going to have weird genetic disorders, all that stuff. I would not want to see the society that survived several thousand years based off of six people's genetics. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. That is actually a glaring uh, miss on the part of being realistic as far as ideas.
0: Yeah. So, as we come to a close, uh, what is one theory you want to, for the audience to take about Dr. Stone and you as a science correspondent?
1: Honestly, what I would love people to do is take two things uh, From the show one is something that he really stresses that I think is important to stress about science Science is not a book of answers Science is just a process It's a process where we take all the information that we're observing and we experiment with it and we come out with these solutions but those solutions they don't go into this fact book of science, right? That's why Everything's changing when we gather more information and we study more. So just remember, science is a process, not a book of answers. Yep. And the second thing to remember, what's really good about this stuff is you can learn how all this stuff works. You can figure it out just by asking questions. When you're looking around, ask how that works. Take some time, look into it. If you don't understand, ask somebody to help you. You know, Come to my podcast, learn about something. Yeah. Uh, just to throw that in there. <laughs> but this works because this man is an exaggeration of what one man can do, probably, but he has this natural curiosity that led him to understand the fundamentals of all of these things. Yeah. So if you were to get stranded in the middle of the woods, you might not be able to build a thriving technological, you know, kingdom of science with cell phones, but you can build enough to be to survive and to be comfortable. And mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to look into what it takes for that. So, and
0: uh, a big you know, symbol-wise, is E equals MC squared. That's really important because that's how the energy and conservation, everything kind of come together in mm-hmm. basic chemistry formulas. So you have to understand that to go further.
1: Absolutely. I think the two most important equations in physics is E equals MC squared and F equals MA. So force equals mass times mm-hmm. acceleration. Yep. Pretty much everything can be derived from that one
0: so so one. as we take this to a close thank you for being a guest for this particular podcast for mc anime podcast uh where can they find you again
1: uh yeah you can find me at dash of science.com and physicist chris on twitter and hit me up with questions if you got them i love
0: to answer questions all right guys you heard from uh chris and all the different a dash of science and physicist chris on twitter don't forget to view Anime Podcasts wherever you can find podcasts near you. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. Don't forget to join our Patreon. Become the NC Animator community and tiers. Posting, original messages, polls, anime content, anime tiers, all that stuff you can get access to. Uh, thank you for having... Chris, here's to us, and uh, thank you for your science expertise. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks
1: again for having me. I loved it. Bye, guys.